Welcome to this conversation. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. David St. Clair, who is a pastor with the United Methodist Church, retired. He's also a pillar of this radio station with his show on Motown and the Beatles, a longtime chaplain of Emory and Henry College, and pastor of numerous churches around the area. Welcome, David St. Clair, to Thank this you. conversation. Thank you, Teresa. If I'm a pillar of the radio station, we're in trouble. No, uh, everybody knows. I mean, you did one of the first shows on the radio station called Be the Change when we yeah. went, when we uh, upgraded the power. 15 years ago. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about a serious issue that appears to be splitting the United Methodist Church into two different groups. And with all of your credentials with the United Methodist Church, there's nobody better to help walk us through what's going on, I think, than you are. So is there a split underway? Is there a plan for a split? What are the issues? The split has already occurred um, unofficially, I guess, because officially in the United Methodist Church, things don't happen until the general conference of the church um, meets and says they happen. General conference is the legislative body of the United Methodist Church elected from very from the conferences of the United Methodist Church worldwide and consisting of clergy and laity and is the governing body of United Methodism. But there is a new denomination that has broken away from the United Methodist Church and May the 1st was their official launch date. So it's most accurate to say there is a split in the United Methodist Church. So there is a split. And of course, the issues are no surprise. It's been an issue all over the country, I think in different churches. We'll ask you about that later. But some people in the church just cannot accept gay people in the clergy, and they cannot accept same-sex marriage. Are those the two primary issues? Yes. Um, and are there others? Well, I, I think there are others, but the primary issue as identified by the folks who are leading the breakaway group, which, by the way, the official name of it is the Global Methodist Church. The primary issue is the issue of the United Methodist Church's stance on uh, human sexuality and the reluctance and sometimes doubt, uh, outright um, unwillingness to enforce the United Methodist Church's stance, which is, oddly enough, that um, practicing self-avowed homosexual persons may not be ordained to the United Methodist clergy, that same-sex marriages uh, may not uh, be performed by United Methodist clergy and may not be performed in United Methodist Church facilities. That's the United Methodist Church position reaffirmed uh, in 2019 at our last at a call session of the General Conference. 
it, that has been the position mostly uh, with some um, changes in wording since 1972. Teresa, in 1972, the Emory and Henry College Choir went to the General Conference by invitation to sing at a morning session. General Conference that year met in Atlanta. I was a junior at Emory and Henry or had just finished my junior year and was in the concert choir. And it was at that session of the general conference that this language was inserted into our book of discipline, which is the book that governs, it's like the constitution of the United States. That's the book that governs the way United Methodists practice. Prior to 1972, there was no language whatsoever. And there had been people recently who, who have said, let's settle this. Let's go back to pre-1972 and just take out the language. Um, then there are not these issues of contention. 50 years later, I retired from the ministry and we were still fighting over that issue. 10 years after that, 2022, we're still fighting and now we have split. Um, and it is that issue, um, but there are corollary things around it as well. It's, I mean, basically, if you have to identify this simply, it is a split between conservative and progressive. Oh, those terms. Uh, yeah, let me just clarify. I don't like them myself. You said that in 1972, the... the uh, language became practicing homosexuals can't be ordained correct and you can't perform same-sex marriages in a church well of course in 1972 that wasn't an issue because it wasn't the law of the land there, there wasn't any such thing as a same-sex marriage that that language entered the church um much later and uh as some states began passing laws making same-sex marriage legal. And then, of course, the U.S. Supreme Court did that several years ago. Um, but in reality, what has happened is that uh, conferences, conference boards of ordained ministry, um, individual clergy persons, and some bishops have ignored that language and ignored that ban. And uh, that has... Um, that has frustrated the, the conservative elements in the United Methodist Church. I want to uh, ask you, I think I've got this right, maybe not, but it seems like that I remember hearing you say one time, what did Jesus say about homosexuality? And you right. answered that question. What is the answer? Not a thing. So where does, where does the Fuhrer come from? How can you, what is the biblical history, tradition, foundation for people who say it's sinful and we can't do it in the church? Well, because there are biblical passages outside of the Gospels which prohibit uh, homosexual, I'm sorry, homosexual practices, um, some in the Old Testament, uh, for example, in the book of Leviticus, some in the New Testament, um, in letters of Paul, 
uh, and other epistles in the New Testament. And, and so it's that uh, scriptural warrant that is appealed to um, by those persons who say this is unchristian, this is unbiblical. I always heard um, the story that, you know, the, well, people always quote some scripture that says homosexuality is an abomination, mm-hmm. but isn't there a whole list of things in the Bible that are supposedly the same kind of abomination? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the same list that Paul has at one point, gossip is included. Uh Oh, um, I'm in trouble. We all are. And that's the, that's the point that some people want to make is why have you selected this particular sin? Adultery is, of course, forbidden in the Ten Commandments, which homosexuality is not forbidden in the Ten Commandments. Adultery is, um, if you want to tell me that there are no adulterers in the church, uh, I mean, that's just a ridiculous claim. Um there's so many things. The, the point about what does Jesus say about homosexuality? Nothing. Um, he has more to say about riches. And, and you know, I consider myself, I've, I've been to Haiti. I know what poverty is. I'm vastly wealthy by that comparison. And therefore, I'm condemned under the words of Jesus for my wealth um it's a very complicated matter it behooves us to recognize that if we're going to talk about sin and and choose the sin that we say eliminates persons from fellowship in the church that's probably a pretty big sin in and of itself. I mean, G- the thing that Jesus condemns, the thing he gets angriest about, at least as I understand it when I read the Gospels, is self-righteousness. And I think there are persons who would be on very solid ground in saying that there is a great deal of self-righteousness in the conversation surrounding human sexuality. You know, I wonder how much the fact that you're talking about the worldwide church, when you talk about the United Methodist Church Conference, you're talking about a worldwide organization, or is that just? Yeah, that's correct. It's, it is a worldwide church body, 12, almost 13 million members. Interestingly, roughly half of them are in the United States, and roughly half are in conferences in uh, other countries and continents, Africa, and um, the Philippines, Korea, Japan, well, Australia has its own branch of Methodism, as does England, by the way, where Methodism originated. Um, But yeah, it's a global uh, body of the Wesleyan church or the Wesleyan church movement. Well, I grew up in a not a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church. Yeah, y'all do things decently and in order. That's the the Presbyterian phrase. Is this decent? Is this done decently and in in order, which means according to your book of order, all of these denominations have laws and constitutions and um, books that, that they can appeal to. This is how we do things. 
even in the Baptist denominations, which are, are and other congregational denominations uh, where the individual congregation is the ruling body, there are rules. So there are rules, and then there is the faith, the belief. And I was taught, and I think this is traditional in, in uh, Protestant churches and lots of other churches too, but you love everyone. And, but still, the message was clear. You love everyone, and you sing, Jesus loves all the children, red and yellow, black and white. But the message still gets through that homosexuals are different. And what I was going to say, I'm meandering to a question here, is that it's a long journey from being indoctrinated with or taught that um, to coming to a full understanding and love of people who are gay. I think you have to meet the, meet people, know people, love people, and realize that that they are loved by God as much. But maybe what I'm getting to is that in the worldwide picture, this sounds self-righteous, but that the United States has been more progressive, I would say more advanced in tolerance and acceptance of homosexuality. I, I think that's probably correct. Um, I'm not sure I would use some of the terms that you use, but I, I think we can say that generally beyond the bounds of the United States, uh, there is greater resistance to acceptance, full acceptance of persons um, in the LGBTQ community. Um, but that's not universally true abroad, just as it's obviously not universally true within the uh, boundary of the United States that we're in, in the full acceptance mode here. Um, uh, since the Alito memo has been leaked regarding the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade, I have heard persons say this is opening the door and, and it's, they fear that, that uh, same-sex marriage ruling may be overturned. I even heard one commentator suggest that um, interracial marriage would be on the table uh, possibly being overturned. Supposedly to scare people. Right, right. Um, and, and, you know, that's a tactic that's used in church divisions as well. It has been used in this division within the United Methodist Church where um, one side will say, well, if, if, if we keep going this progressive route, then you're going to wind up with a gay pastor. Uh, and do you want a gay pastor taking your children on a youth retreat? You know, that kind of boogie person uh, thing that, that people pull up to, to scare you. So you oh, 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 uh, and you'll run over to their side. As if the mm -hmm. heterosexual pastor can't be Is as safe. much of a, a danger right. or threat. Yeah. Right. And the other side will come back and say, well, you know, you go to that other denomination that's splitting away from us. Uh, pretty soon they will, they'll stop ordaining women. And um, they'll also, uh, if you're a married clergy and you, but you've been previously married and divorced and then you remarried, then, then they'll not allow you to be ordained. And so it's, you know, let's see who can scare each other with the greatest um, amount of, 
ooh, this is going to happen to you if you go with the other side. Let me uh, interrupt just for a second to remind listeners that I'm speaking with David St. Clair, the Reverend Dr. David St. Clair, a longtime pastor in the United Methodist Church, uh, now retired, but talking to us today about the split in the Methodist Church between the United Methodist Church and the offshoot now, the Global Methodist Church, who opposes gay clergy and same-sex marriage. So you said it's already underway, this split, David. What's next? What what happens next? Well, that's... um... I wish there were more, a more definitive answer for folks, but we're kind of in a wait and see place. Um, it, and this is going to get, I hope not too complicated, but it's going to be a little complicated if you're not United Methodist. The United Methodist Church is an Episcopal church system. We have bishops uh, who have authority within the church, but we also are a connectional church system. Um, you can go from a United Methodist Church in Southwest Virginia to a United Methodist Church in Southern California, and they're going to be elements that are exactly the same. Um, the United Methodist Church has within its structure a judicial council, which is much like the Supreme Court of the United Methodist Church. And the reason that we're in a wait and see place right now is because a couple of things have happened. Uh, Listeners will be familiar with uh, some of these. One of them is that uh, I mentioned the General Conference, the legislative governing body of the church, It meets only every four years, met in 2016, and then there was a called meeting in 2019, and then there was to be another regular meeting in 2020, pandemic. 2020 meeting was canceled. Okay, well, we'll do it 2021 or 2022, canceled. And now it's not going to be held until 2024, in part because As a global body, we've got delegates coming from around the world and the visa backup for to get into the United States is is like uh, in two years uh, to get approval. So if we have a general conference and we can't get all the delegates here, then that's not a fair general conference. It would um, it would be something that would be considered um, illegitimate probably if you don't have uh, but two thirds of your delegates and a third have been kept out because of conditions that they had no control over. So we're waiting for the 2024 general conference. In the meantime, the council of bishops, the executive council of the United Methodist church has asked the judicial council to rule on certain questions and they are under consideration. We have to wait for that to be settled. So we're in a waiting period. What's next? Um, uh, What I'm gonna say now is just my reading of things. Um, the, The Global Methodist Church, the new denomination has been launched. There will be clergy who will leave the United Methodist Church and go to the Global Methodist Church. 
Some already have announced that they have done that. Some have announced their intention to do that. There's a process by which they leave the United Methodist ministry. Churches will announce that they're going to be members of the global Methodist church. They're there are a handful that I'm aware of are in this area that have already made that announcement. That process is considerably more complicated. I can, can I just share with you a few things? They have to have a three months minimum spiritual discernment process. They have to sign a request to disaffiliate. They have to have a call church conference they have to pay all their local church obligations. Those things right there are going to take, and they've got to pay them back for, for two years. Those things, they're going to take several years to occur. So it's going to be a very slow pulling away. Uh, and, and I suspect it's going to require a great deal of patience on everyone's part. So in the meantime, the, the United Methodist Church still has this governing uh, principle of that practicing homosexuals can't be ordained and that you can't perform same-sex marriages in the church. So I guess the United Methodist Church will, pastors will just continue to, to do what they're doing now, which is to not follow the doctrine of the church, to, to be more inclusive for homosexuals? Yeah, I... Um... There's a congregation in Nashville with which I'm very familiar that several months ago, um, almost a year ago, passed its administrative board, passed a, a statement saying our church is available to anyone who wants to be married. Our preachers, we will support if they wish to perform same-sex marriages. That is going to continue until that language is changed. And I think most people anticipate that by the time the new denomination has its legs and is up and going, the United Methodist Church will have its language changed. Very interesting. Can you tell us, what are you willing to tell us about how this affects you personally? Why were you drawn to the ministry did you ever foresee anything like this and how has it affected you? Um, if I can tell you a story, a personal story. Um, when I was nine years old, my family moved from Maryville to Nashville. My dad was also a United Methodist preacher and he was moved to a pretty large church in Nashville. Um, School started the day after Labor Day. We moved Labor Day weekend, started in a new school. I was from East Tennessee. I had a good, strong East Tennessee accent. Uh, you know, I would say things like, y'all got tar gauge and, <laughs> and things like that. And um, in Nashville, I mean, I was from Maryville, Tennessee, which properly pronounced in Maryville is Merville. And you move to Nashville and people in Nashville say M-A-R-Y as Mary. So they would ask me where I was from and I'd say Marvel and they'd go looking on the map and couldn't find it. Um, I was kind of an obnoxious kid and, and had a hard time fitting in. 
I came out of the lunch line one day and we had kind of cafeteria tables where uh, they folded down out of the wall. So it's benches and tables. And of course, this is the fourth grade and boys sit at one table, girls at the other. And I go to the boys table and all the guys are sitting there with their elbows out. And, and I try to fit in somewhere. And finally, one of them turns around and says, you can't sit here. Why not? Because you're not in our club. What club is that? The club we made to keep you out. Oh. And so I had to take my tray and go to the end of the girls' table against the wall and eat lunch in abject humiliation. Oh, David. A few weeks later, it was communion Sunday at our church. And my dad's in the pulpit, my mom's in the choir. So we had to sit in the transept nearest the pulpit so that mother and daddy both could keep an eye on us. And we go up for communion and it was, you know, you kneel down and the preacher started serving at the opposite end of the communion rail where I was. And I'm watching them serve and I see them come to a little, to a family. And there's a boy. In fact, it was the boy who said, you're not in our club, the club we made to keep you out. That didn't occur to me immediately, but it didn't take too long for me to realize that that was a table where no one could keep me away. And I oh. vowed not long after that, growing up, becoming a teenager and such, that I wouldn't belong to something that potentially everybody could not belong to. And I feel that way because that was Jesus's table. He welcomed me and he welcomed the guy who rejected me. And I just think that that principle, it, it, it certainly has been valid for my life and my faith. And I can't, con, you know, I can't support excluding anybody on any basis. And you can say, well, sin, okay, sin, then none of us are going to get at the table. Because the same Bible that you read that says these people are uh, sinners also says that all of us are sinners and that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, and Jesus says in that same Bible, I will draw all people, all people and all still means all. I will draw all people unto myself. Oh my goodness. I feel like we should just say amen and and stop. But David, I've got. Well, you're actually supposed to sing a hymn first. Oh God, so we don't you, want that. You to, go first. No, we don't want that to happen. <laughs> I do want to ask you one more question. As I said, we're getting close to the end of the of time, but to the end of time, I didn't oh mean it God. that way. I don't know. You know when it's going to happen. I don't know about that actually. <laughs> but anyway, have you performed gay marriages? No, no, and I wouldn't. Um, while I, while I was in the active ministry, no, I would not have, uh, because one of my things is, uh, even if I disagree with the law, um, I will still obey what that law is because if I want it changed, I, I mean, about, I, I buy Dr. King's philosophy. If you want to change the law, 
the proper and moral way to do that is to engage in civil disobedience, where you deliberately disobey the law and take the punishment in order to change the law. There's so, no punishment for those who are performing gay marriages. Well, and that's why the Global Methodist Church is in existence because um, they have they that's exactly what they've said. You know, people are breaking it. In fact, there's a, there is actually a gay, I'm sorry, there's a lesbian United Methodist bishop out in the West, out in the Western jurisdiction. Um, and, and so global Methodists say, and I think rightly so, if you're not going to punish them, what's the point? Why do we have the rules? So we're just going to, we're going to leave United Methodism, start a new denomination where, where we can trust the process. The split in the United Methodist Church. My guest today, Reverend Dr. David St. Clair. David, thank you so much for your time and helping us understand this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Teresa. It's certainly not an easy topic. It's a painful time in the church, and I appreciate you giving me uh, the opportunity to share. My pleasure. Thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in. This is This Conversation. You can hear us Wednesdays at 6 and Sundays at 2. See you next time.